0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. A warm welcome to everyone listening to us on the King's Cast. This is part two of the call. If you haven't heard part one, please download and listen to that now. Part two of Of the call. Having looked at these first three challenges, here is number four. Number four. When you begin to serve God, or when you begin to hear the call of God, and you begin to act on it, something most likely, in most cases, is going to happen. And I've called this unfriendly fire. From the phrase used in the military, friendly fire, which is when someone on your team or on your side shoots you. So, you know, you can have that tragedy happen in conflict where a soldier can be flown back to the UK or flown back to the States or whatever. And the it, it heartbreaking scenario that actually that soldier wasn't killed by terrorists or insurgents was actually accidentally killed by one of the allied forces, one of the allied groups. Friendly fire. Very unfriendly. And this is exactly what happened to Moses. Moses' biggest problem was not Pharaoh. And it wasn't the magician's In Pharaoh's court. It wasn't the demons. And it wasn't the Pharaoh. The biggest problem that Moses had. Was the Israelites. And the friendly or unfriendly fire. That he got from them. Here's some of the things they said. Look Exodus 15.24. So the people grumbled against. Moses. The people were supposed to be on his side. But no, 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 no. (laughs) They decided this is the man of God following God's call. Let's criticize him and make life more difficult for him. Uh, Exodus 16 verse 2. In the desert, the whole community, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Not just one or two of them, but the whole jolly lot of them. And then Exodus 17 verse 3, but the people were thirsting for water there and they grumbled against Moses. I want to encourage you and encourage me as well, as I'm someone who's under authority and inner structure and all these sorts of things, to not join the ranks of the grumblers. A Bible college, we used to call it the moans of the mediocre. And you know full well, don't you, that the best football players are never on the pitch, are they? Never. The best football player, like my brother, he, his religion is football. So if you ever you are watching an England game, and I know in this room, not many will. But if you're ever watching an England game, the World Cup or the Euro or something like that, and the camera pans across the crowd, and in the crowd, you see someone with a Union Jack painted on their face, who looks a bit like me. That is most likely my brother. If England are playing, he is there flies around the world to go and see them lose at penalties all over the world. <laughs> it's really very depressing, isn't it? And I've never quite been with him at a football match, but I imagine he's very much like most football fans. Uh, last year I went to a football match here at Cambridge United for the first time, and I was amazed at the religious atmosphere there is in the stand. Men standing, singing. It sounded better than the Pentecostal church. So if ever you want to tell me that men do not sing, that is not true. If they are passionate, they will. If they are passionate, they will clap and jump up and down. So we have a lot to learn from Cambridge United, it seems. But I sat with this group of people and they were shouting out instructions, uh um, from the you know from the benches. Now I was sat there. I just had something to eat from the burger van. So obviously I was beginning to become quite ill. And um, they openly sell horse meat there. But I'm they're all shouting out, "Come on, you, oh, give it to it!" And they're all shouting out. And I'm looking at these guys, and they're all nineteen stone guys. And I'm thinking, do you honestly? What, why don't you? You know, get out there and play. And let's see what you're like. The best football players are not on the pitch. They're in the stand. Come on! Get a goal! I think, what do you think he's trying to do? Don't you think he's not trying to get a goal? Kick it to him! What do you think he's trying to do? Tweet? Come on! This match should be better! And unfortunately, now forgive me, but the kingdom of God is exactly like that. It's a tiny group of people pushing forward the work of the ministry while another group of people sit down and go, come on, let's do better than this. A football match is a group of about 20 people badly in need of a sit down being shouted at. By hundreds of people badly in need of some exercise. Jesus said, and we heard it earlier from Beverly, the laborers are few. Why are the laborers few? Because some people pick up the phone and serve God and other people do not. The laborers are not supposed to be few. It's not a prophecy. It's not supposed to be the will of God. But it is a fact. Because some respond to the call of God and others don't. Now let me make this plea and uh, some of you know for years, I don't do it now, but I had some oversight over about 50 churches in East Anglia and often the only time I went was to troubleshoot or something like that. So I used to go wherever there were problems and invariably the problems in the church were friendly fire. The problems weren't with demons. It wasn't a group of witch doctors running around the building. It, It wasn't burglaries. It wasn't the local council that were causing the trouble. It was a few deacons in the church. Deacon possessed, I used to call this, those, those are places. Or a few, like a mafia family in the church. Most churches, not this church, but most churches have a mafia family. A group who, they all think in the same way. And they, and they, and they act like they're, they're, they are, they they are they are in charge. They're the self-appointed policemen of the church. Moses' main problem in his life was friendly fire. So I want to ask you this. If you can't serve God, at least get behind those who do. And don't snipe at them. I think one of the main problems is, and this happened a lot in some of the churches I used to visit. I'm just being a bit candid today, but here we go. Many, Some of the people who would cause trouble in the churches, they saw themselves in the role of Elijah the prophet and the leaders of the church were, the, were wicked King Ahab. That's how they saw themselves. I'm the prophet and he's a wicked king of Israel, Pastor Dingling, and I'm going to stop him or some such thing. What they didn't know was in fact the pastor was actually Moses and they were a grumbling Israelite. But no one cast themselves in that role. They cast themselves in the role of the defender. And, the, and that's, what these, that's what these Israelites thought they were doing. They were expressing a view that they thought was valid. But we know, don't we, that God wasn't in that view. Paul had a remarkable, the Apostle Paul had a remarkable solution to crumblers. He said, I just don't let anyone criticize me. He says that in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 3. One time a guy told a story. And he said, um, once upon a time, there were a group of uh, frogs playing together, you know, chatting away. This is not a true story. And one of the frogs fell into a, a pit. And the little frog was in the bottom of the pit and he was trying to jump out of this pit. And the other frogs looked down from the top, shouting down, you'll never make it. You won't be able to do it. You're finished. But the little frog underneath just kept jumping. Just kept jumping. And the frogs kept shouting down. It's hopeless. Forget it. You're not strong enough. You're finished. And in the end, still the little frog just kept jumping as he kept jumping he began hitting the same spot halfway up this this uh, hole enough to make a little indentation so that he could jump there and then jump again and out of the hole hip hip and someone said what a wonderful story what's the moral of the story oh the moral of the story is we should persevere The little frog survived because he persevered. And the guy said, no, he was deaf. The frog was deaf. And so as they shouted, you can't do it, or you're not doing it right. Or let me give you some advice. In fact, the little frog couldn't hear them. And he kept going anyway. If you want to serve God, you are going to be criticized a lot. I want to assure you, you're going to be criticized by your family. You'll be criticized by friends. People will tell you you're going too far. And Moses had the same problem. Critics. Uh, Let me just help you out here. I'm Elijah, you know. No, they're not Elijah. They are a grumbler. They're one of the Israelites. And God wasn't fond of them for having that spirit about them. That's not to say that there's no place for correction and criticism and evaluation. But the people who can come and speak into my life are the people who work with me. Not the people who watch me. People who work with me can correct me anytime they like. And I say that absolutely as a truth. But people who watch me from a bench while I'm running around the pitch. Now, I'll take advice from my fellow players. The moans of friendly fire. And if you're going to serve God, I promise you, people will, people will criticize you and people will try to correct you and all manner of things. Sometimes we have to be a little deaf. Have to be a little deaf. The next problem that Moses had, number five of five of six, was the serpent. The servants of the serpent. The Bible tells us, let's have a look at it. Exodus chapter seven. It's good to open the Bible, isn't it? Exodus seven. After a little while of Moses serving God, he got the attention of the devil here. Verse 8 of Exodus 7, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, verse 10. Are you with me? And did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers. And the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. I like this next bit though. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. One of the things that we do not, talk about too much in this church and it's something that I'm very pleased about is we don't talk about the devil very much here except to tell people that he's defeated. And um, I'm, I'm not a big one where a church emphasizes demons and devils and because I, I see in churches like that an emphasis that I'm not sure is really in the Bible. The emphasis is not in the Bible. And often the more you talk about the devil the more you see him, in inverted commas, in things that perhaps he's not really in. If you have an atmosphere where you expect to meet the devil every day, then you probably, in your mind, you will. Did you understand what I mean by that? I remember meeting one girl. She was obviously from a church where they spoke a lot about the devil. And she was in a shop playing music and her tape recorder broke. And so this is going back a few years. Tape recorder, for those of you who are young. It was a device that we used to use many years ago. It came out after the gramophone. Anyway, but she was obviously from a church tradition that had a big thing about the devil. And so her tape recorder broke. And I remember going into this little shop and she was commanding the demon to come out of the tape deck. Now I said, now, I think you ought to take that back to Curry's sweetheart. I think that's probably the answer. Why don't you take that back to, you know, to PC World or to Comet or wherever you got it from. It, the tape recorder does not need deliverance. It just needs to be repaired. And I find that people who uh, think about the devil a lot, they see him in, uh, uh, you know, they have an overemphasis on it. So therefore they sort of see him at work. And I wanna, I wanna recommend to you that you get delivered from a deliverance mentality. The, the devil appears in the Bible, he's a real factor, but he is not a major factor. And the Bible is supposed to be a devil shrinker, not, not, honey, I blew up the devil, I shrunk God. But the Bible is supposed to be, honey, I just shrunk the devil and blew up God. You know, The, the, the Bible, if you read the Bible as it should be read, you'll find the devil is, is, is a defeated foe. And if you really want to talk to him, then uh, you should perhaps put scriptures on the bottom of your shoes because it's the only place where he's able to read anything because he's underneath our feet. Nevertheless, that is not to say... That he is not a real foe, and now I speak to the I speak to the mature here today to to say to you that there really is a devil, and sometimes you'll find that he will manifest himself in ways that perhaps you wouldn't have anticipated. The first thing I want to say is, here is that. Moses' first problem wasn't the devil. His first problem was himself. You remember? So the first problem you've got is you. The first problem I've got is me. I am my primary enemy. You want to take authority over something every morning? Take authority over the person you see in the mirror. In the bathroom. That's the main problem. My main problem is me. The Bible says that... Each man sins when by his own evil desires he's led away and enticed. And so I don't need the devil to tempt me. I've got enough in me to tempt me already, yes? Am I telling the truth? Yeah. So the person I need to take authority over is the guy in the mirror. Rather than some, you know, invisible force. I've, I've got enough problems of my own without having to play. You know the old thing of the devil outside of church crying. And the guy on the door comes out to give him a leaflet. And says, why are you crying? And he says, well, they're blaming me for everything in there. Well, it's true that, that, that could, uh, well, the devil was tempting me. I, am not so sure about that. I think we got enough going on in us without any interference from anything external to mess up our lives. Anyway, you don't look like you believe me, but it's, but it's, but it, but it is the truth. Can you say amen? It's the truth. But here's something else to bear in mind. When you start to serve God, and only then really, you will start to get the attention of your enemy, your spiritual enemy. Now Moses hadn't encountered the devil before until he began to serve God. That's when he encountered him. And how did he encounter him? He encountered him through the lives of individuals who had yielded themselves over to the the will of the enemy. One of the things I always encourage people to think about, and me talking about the devil is a very rare thing, so just soak it up because it won't happen next week. But one of the primary characteristics of our enemy is that he is cunning. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this, The serpent was more crafty or more cunning than any other creature in the field that the Lord had made. The devil is highly intelligent. The devil is not breaking tape recorders or breaking your electric windows in your car. That's not what he does. The devil isn't giving you a cold, And the devil isn't winding that that woman you work with to be rude to you. That's not not really his mode of operation. One time a lady fell down the stairs and people were blaming the devil. I thought, my goodness, if the devil can push me down the stairs, he'd do it every day. Come on. The devil can't come into my house and push me down the stairs. What sort of theology is this? Come on. But what he can do is use his absolute sharp intelligence against me and against you. He is a cunning enemy. Think of a character from literature. Not a crazy guy with a bomb and a gun. But an arch villain. Someone who plots and schemes Someone who understands human nature. Someone who works behind the scenes to bring difficulty to the work of God. I thought of three things that I thought the devil could sometimes do. Deceive, drain and discourage. Deceive, drain and discourage. They want to be intimidating, our foes. That's what the magicians had come to do, to make God look defeatable in front of Moses. Can you imagine what Moses thought? Throwing down his staff, or Aaron's staff, I think it is. And suddenly the magicians can do the same. think, Oh my, have I re- am I really on the winning side? am I really on the winning side here? I remember sitting in a pub with a warlock or a male witch or wizard or whatever he claimed to be, a very odd character. And I told him in our church, we speak in tongues. He said, oh, I speak in tongues. And right in front of me, he spoke in other tongues right there in the pub. I thought, wow. Wow. And for a moment, I was only a young Christian. My faith was shaken. I thought this was a gift of the Spirit. But here's this man with this counterfeit gift. That's exactly, exactly what those magicians did. By the way, wonderful story. That guy was later born again, saved, and, uh, uh, and uh, powerfully impacted by the kingdom of God. I suspect he speaks in tongues today too, but in a different way. Sometimes in, uh, it, there's intimidation from the enemy. Uh, many times, when casting out demons, the demon before it leaves will look at me and speak to me through the person. I've heard many times words such as "I'm going to destroy you" or "I'm going to." If I come out of this person, I will come into you. Well, what's it? It's just deception and intimidation. That's why we have to stand on the Word of God. That's why you need to know the manual. Otherwise you'd be terrified, night and day. One demon said to me, if I come out of this girl, I shall enter into you. Now if I hadn't known the manual, I might have been frightened. But I told the demon, well I'm afraid I'm full up at the moment. There's no room for you. When you begin to serve God, things sometimes begin to happen. Encounters. Intended to drain you, discourage you. I'm not talking about being late for work or the bus doesn't... I'm not talking about trivial things. But every now and then, you'll have moments where your enemy... Or what he's trying to do is steal your faith. He's trying to take away your zeal for the work of God. We had an incident just this week. I was telling some guys downstairs... We're looking through some old minutes. And a few years ago, we had a break-in here. And um, during the break-in, a a Satanist got into the church office, got on the church computer and wrote me a note in Word. (laughs) Word 97. Sat at the computer and wrote me a death threat on the computer. Didn't write it down, wrote it on the computer. In fact, I was having a joke with Aruna earlier. They, we could tell when it was done because on Word you can tell how many edits it's had, and the idiot couldn't spell, and he had to correct one of his spelling things on it. He didn't—he spelled his name wrong, and we had to return and edit it. Bless his heart. And there was this threat that I was going to go down to the pit. Can you imagine me coming in early in the morning and seeing that on the screen. You will go giant. Because Satanists always always type in capital letters, you know, big fonts. You will go to the pit. This is what happened here in 2002. And we were just looking at it this week, just tidying up a few minutes from many years ago. Just wanted to get the the date of that occurrence. I thought, I know, I've I've got the note somewhere. (laughs) We can see the date. So we found the date and cleared up the issue. And less than five minutes later, this week, I went out into the car park and a guy who'd been parking there confronted me and I had to ask him not to park and he went crazy, really crazy. And he looked at me and he said to me, you will go to hell. The very thing I just read on on that note, maybe five minutes before. I want to encourage us. Don't be intimidated by these things. I'm not suggesting that we meet the devil every day. If you want to have a theology where you meet the devil all the time, you're sort of in the wrong church for that. Because that's not the case. But for those who will serve God, you will find the devil will find a landing strip in someone's heart. He did it through Peter with Jesus in Matthew 16 and so he could do it with anyone. Let's be sure that you and I don't become his landing strip to do his will. Don't think that's not. Don't think that's impossible. It's perfectly possible. If Peter in Matthew 16 can say to Jesus, "You will not go to the cross," and Jesus have to say to him, "You're being controlled by Satan," then don't think it's impossible for you, or even for I, or anyone you see, to also sometimes fall into that. We must not give him any place. Jesus said. The Prince of this world is coming, but he has no place in me. And he must have no place in us. The gentleman this week gave the enemy a place, albeit temporarily, but gave him a place to deliver that curse to me. You say, Brother Peter, have you have you been have you had the curse broken? No, because there is how can the enemy curse what God has blessed? I don't need anyone to break any curses. I'm blessed. But as we serve God, we'll find that we'll encounter some difficulties at times. Be encouraged in it. It's sober stuff, this, I know. But be encouraged in it. Expect opposition and extinguish it. Demons are edible. The staff ate them up. And we'll find that the enemy will be defeated here too. Finally, as we begin this journey of serving God, the final difficulty that Moses had in seeing this ministry come to pass, seeing the full extent of God's grace at work, was the temptation, what I've called here, a half-measure temptation. In other words, doing sort of half the job, but not fully. Pharaoh offered Moses a number of halfway options here on the screen. Exodus 8 verse 28, Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh offered him this as a deal, you may go, but don't go far. Then in Exodus 10 verse 11, he said, you may go, but only the men may go. Then in Exodus 10 verse 24, you may go, but leave all your possessions, leave the livestock here in Egypt. I wanted just to take a moment as we finish, but just think about Moses being actually tempted to take those deals. I mean, if you've been through what he's been through and you've had that difficulty, you could well be tempted. Don't think this is... This is not tempting. It would have been absolutely tempting for the man of God to think, I'm having a rough time here. And I don't know if any more frogs are going to come and jump in anyone's bed. The man of God could very well have been tempted to accept some of these deals. Well, you can go, but come back again. Or you can go, but only a few of you can go. Or you can go, but leave the livestock... And this wonderful line comes out of Moses' mouth a little bit later on this passage. He says, not a hoof will be left here in Egypt. In other words, I'm not leaving anything. Not one hoof will be left here in Egypt. I've got to deal with Findus and I've got to fulfill it. We're all leaving, every one of us. This is Exodus, which means going out. We are going out of Egypt, all of us. How does this apply to us? God will most likely not cause you to lead a group of people out of a country. But there will always be a temptation in your life and mine to do things with a half measure. To begin something and do it a little. Many of you know the story of how we were sort of slightly fooled into doing this project. Or I was. We came up with an idea to just do a little piece of the balcony, a little bit of a, a room here. And, uh, and, you know, that would be it. But all the time, of course, God has spoke to me about the whole thing. But there was such a temptation. well, uh, this is affordable. You know, we can just about think about doing this. A half measure. You might feel God speak, you might hear that phone ringing. God calling you, either to serve him or to be a Christian, whichever it is. And there might be a very real sense in you that says, well, I'll do, but I'm just going to half do this. Or I'm just going to commit myself a little bit. A half measure. It's so tempting. But I know the God of heaven's not looking for me to have a spurt of enthusiasm and then knock it on the head. I know God's not looking to me to Begin something and then not finish it. I once spoke to someone and they said their ministry was to start things up and then leave them. And move on to something else. And sometimes that sounds spiritual, but other times that just sounds like we do something, we get bored and then we do something else. Come on, let's just tell the truth. Let's just tell the truth. Now God wants us to finish what we have begun. In Colossians 4 verse 17, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If it's not underlined in your Bible, perhaps it should be. Paul's writing and in his final exhortations, his final hellos and goodbyes in that letter, he sends a message to his friend, Archippus, And it says this, tell Archibus this, see to it that you finish what you have begun in the Lord. I love that verse. See to it that you finish what you have begun in the Lord. It's really easy to get enthusiastic about a beginning of something. Really easy. We can all get enthusiastic at the beginning. The issue is, where are we going to be five years time? You know, what, well, how's it going to be a year from now? When the adrenaline of newness has gone and now we have to have The discipline of seeing something through that we said we would do. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? Come on, say amen. Amen. There's a difference between the adrenaline of beginning something and the discipline of seeing something through. I shouldn't tell this story, but I've told so many stories today that I shouldn't have told. Another one won't matter. A few years ago, we planted a church. And uh, we brought a group of enthusiastic people with us. We took over an old Methodist building. It was cold. little central heating, you know, that made the ceiling really hot. and Everyone underneath really cold. You know, that kind of place. And so we cranked up the central heating and everyone was there. And we're all enthusiastic. We're going to plant a church. Yeah, we're going to plant a church. A whole load of people. We're going to plant this church. We're going to impact this town. About six weeks into it, the heating broke, and I don't—I not don't just mean broke; I mean broke badly. It was freezing in there, and we got these giant—I don't know what you call them. Some of you know better. They were like giant cannons with fire coming out of them at the front. Gas, I guess they are. They. And we put them strategically by the door to fool people when they came in that it was warm. But he only got a few feet beyond the cannon and he was like, "Ah, we're in the Arctic now. I said, go over there and sit by a heater. They all sat by them psychologically thinking it was warmer. They didn't work. We were the only Pentecostal church in that town to have literal tongues of fire blasting through there. One blasted onto the platform One blasted at the people on the door and another just blasted across the room. It was freezing. Well, you want to be amazed, and perhaps you won't be, that during the time when the heating broke, a few people felt the Holy Spirit speak to them about maybe going to another church for a short time. You don't want to be cold, do you, says the Lord. No, and so the Holy Spirit began to move them around to another church where it was warmer. And then they heard word, oh, the heating's back on in the other place. And there's been a few miracles there. Oh, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It's time for you to go back to that church now. Well, we're all, we can all be a bit like that. I can, you can, but come on. We're dedicated to the cause. If God's called you, do the work of God. Do the work of God. And sometimes it'll be easy and sometimes it'll be hard. Sometimes people will like you. Sometimes they won't like you. (laughs) Sometimes you'll enjoy it and other times you won't enjoy it. Sometimes you'll be healthy. Other times you'll be sick. But we are going, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Isn't that what Joshua said? He didn't say we're going to believe in the Lord. As for me, and my, we will serve the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's finish by looking at one more verse. That's, it won't be on the screen but it's in Exodus and I want you to have a look at Exodus chapter 33 perhaps the greatest temptation of all in the work of God is this one And with this we finish Exodus 33 and verse 15 are you there? thank you Lord Moses said if your presence doesn't go with us don't send us up from here How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses said, now show me your glory. The final thing I want to say just very quickly as we end. Perhaps the greatest challenge that a man or woman of God faces is this one. Moses said, I've got to have you with me, Lord. Got to have you with me. There's such a thing as the work of God, but there's also such a thing as the God of the work. You can't do the work of God without the God of the work. And we want to have an anointed team here. I believe it's just as important for our Sunday school teachers to have the Holy Spirit on them as the speaker standing here. Can you say amen? I think it's just as important for the guy in the car park or the girl. We're all one in Christ, ladies. It's just as important for the guy or the girl in the car park to have the Spirit of God on them. As it is for the person leading worship to have the Spirit of God on them. Just as important for the youth leaders to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. As it is for the, the head of the women's ministry. or the It's as important for the people serving coffee to have the presence of God on them. As it is for the people on the door. Or the stewards. We want to be a people of the presence. And Moses had done amazing things. The sea had parted, the frogs had shown up, locusts, the the Nile had turned to blood. I mean, just amazing stuff. You know the story quite well, many of you. But even after all of that, Moses had to say, Lord, there's something I just want you to know from me 100%. That I am now not professional. I am not trained. I don't have any qualifications in the miraculous. I don't have any qualifications in leadership. I don't have any skills. What I have is I have you with me. And if we're going to go on. We're going to have to have you with us. Forever. And I'm going to have to have you with me forever. I have not graduated. In the Moses school of miracles. I've not graduated in the Aaron school of Leading Israelites out of, out of big countries. He had not graduated at all. He needed the God of the work to be with him. Anything that's going to happen here in this church is going to be the work of God. Not the work of God's servants. It's going to be the work of God. This upper room is the work of God. This is what God has done. The ministry that's been running here for 10 years, 20 years, it's the work of God that's been happening here. Not the work of any individuals or teams. It's the work of God. Perhaps Moses' greatest temptation, and yours and mine, is to operate, function without the unction. And whatever your role is, whatever God calls you to do, as you pick up that phone. So great to hear Beverly speaking earlier today about Needing to be clothed in prayer. We must have the Spirit on us. Otherwise we're just a group of do-gooders. But we're supposed to be kingdom bringers. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church. Or to access our large archive of other recordings. Go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.